You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. Welcome back, and thanks for downloading our podcast this week. As we drop this podcast, it is Thanksgiving week, and I hope that you're all looking forward to some time away from the office with your friends and your family. Here in the Friend Home, Thanksgiving means time with my wonderful wife and kids. It also means an amazing home-cooked meal and fried turkey. We've been frying our turkey for about 15 years now, and it's amazing. So if you need any tips, shoot me a message. We've got a great brine recipe. You might even see me post a video or two of us frying a turkey with my crazy kids this week. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday. I also want to thank everyone who joined our webinar last week on donor stewardship. In a special way, I want to thank Sean Trahan, Nick Walsh, and Michelle Brown from the Independence Mission Schools. Michelle is the Chief Development Officer, and if you're not familiar, the Independent Mission Schools serve the urban area of Center City, Philadelphia, and they serve 15 Catholic elementary schools. If you'd like to find out more about this important mission, visit independentmissionschools.org. And again, thanks to our presenters last week for their wonderful presentation. You can find that presentation if you visit our homepage, changingourworld.com, click on Thought Leadership, and we'll have a link to the recording and the webinar. We'll also put it on a future upcoming episode of Advancing Our Church. Again, thanks for everyone who joined us. And if you're a parish and you're thinking about doing a capital campaign, we have a webinar for you. On December the 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern, I'll have another panel of experts assembled and we'll be discussing how to get ready for a capital campaign. So go to changingourworld.com, click on Thought Leadership, and click on Getting Ready for a Parish Capital Campaign. We're going to talk about all the necessary steps that go into creating a successful campaign. I hope you'll join us and invite a friend. Now, let's get to work. This week, I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Tim Ewell. For those who are in Catholic education, you've probably already heard of Dr. Ewell on his successful podcast, Catholic School Matters, which is available on iTunes. Tim began his podcast a few years ago, and we'll talk about how he got started, what inspires him, and his full-time job of overseeing Catholic education for the entire state of Montana. Tim is a busy guy. Now, this was a fun interview for me because we get a little personal. We talk about our shows, our lives, our families, and our work. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. And so, without further ado, here is Dr. Tim Mule. Well, Tim, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here today. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be here. So, um, you are the host of Catholic School Matters, and that's a, a blog and a, and a podcast that you started a few years ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in podcasting. Well, I, I think that um, when I moved to Montana, Five and a half years ago, um, I started driving a lot and, uh, you know, radio stations don't cut it. So that's when I started listening to podcasts. I really hadn't listened to them before that. And, um, and then I started finding my shows and started getting addicted to, um, to listening to content when I wanted to listen to it. Yeah. That's kind of similar how I found it. I, I had a long drive to uh, Philadelphia every every day, uh, a little over an hour, and uh, a friend of mine cued me into podcasting. It's like radio on demand. It's 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 a lot of fun. I found myself listening to podcasters uh, who would describe how they put together their podcast, and then I I was kind of self taught. I don't know how it was for you. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, when I decided, so I mean, the story is, uh, I, and I've told this a few times, but um, one day on Facebook, I, I saw that one of my former students had a podcast, and um, it was like it was the cutest little thing. It's uh, it was, will you be my friend? And she basically interviewed her friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it was just, it was just funny and it was cute. And I was like, well, wait a second. If she can do a podcast, why can't <laughs> I do a podcast? Like I've got, I've got, I've got friends, I've got interesting people. Um, and so literally one night I, I remember I was driving back from Great Falls. That's my most frequent drive. It's about 90 miles and it's, it, well, it's beautiful, but it's a tricky, it's a tricky road in the winter and at night and so forth. And, and, um, and I'm driving back and I just started like making a list. And so when I got home, I just got out a piece of paper and just made a list of all the people that I thought would be interesting to talk to, people I knew. That, and I figured I'd start with people I know because they would say yes. You know, sure. you'd, yeah, right. you'd trade the friendship for a favor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's kind of how, and then that was like in May. And, but, but then I said, which is really unusual for me, I said, I'm going to give myself time to really learn this right so that when I launch, it's, um, you know, as good as it can be. Cause I'm, I'm usually the kind of person who leaps before he looks or, you know, builds the plane as he flies it. So I, I, that's when I did that, that period of time, I, I contacted people and said, Hey, you got a podcast. I listened to it. Um, how do you do it? And people were kind enough to, um, to give me ideas and tell me their process. And then I could adapt and adopt it. And, you know, I've, I've kind of watched you over the last few years. You, it, you've developed quite the audience, obviously, in, in the Catholic education circles, and you've had a lot of interesting uh, uh, guests on your show. What are some of the more memorable interviews that stick out in your, in your mind? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the, my favorite was, um, was probably Sister Helen Prejean. Mm. And because that movie came at a time – Dead Man Walking came at a, like a really formative time for me. Um, I think it was in college. And even the music, like for me, the soundtrack was almost as important. Like I discovered people like Steve Earle and Tom Waits that, that I'd never really listened to before who continue to be part of my life. So for her, it was, that was, and, and it was a face-to-face interview too, which is just super cool. Um, because yeah. I, I went and listened to her speak in Billings. Actually, it was kind of a special day because Billings is about three hours, 15 minutes, about two, 240 um, miles. And so my wife took the day off work and we drove over and um, listened to her, had the podcast and then turned around and drove home. But it was kind of a date uh, for us um, and it was a day, day in the car for us to spend. So that was kind of a special day. I don't know, you know, I, I, but I don't really get into the whole like chasing big name thing, you know, because... Because what what happens, what what I've noticed is, if you get someone who does a lot of podcasts, then they then they then it's plug and play. They just sort of talk about their talking points, and and you know my thing is I try to knock people off their talking points and get real and just you know answer and just have a conversation. It's not an interview. Like I always tell people, this is not an interview. It's a conversation. Um, and so I've had some of the best podcasts with people who. You know, I I just call up and I'm like, I'm told you're a fantastic school leader. Um, I'd like to talk to you. And they're like, about what? And I'm like, I don't know, whatever the spirit, wherever the spirit leads us. And um, and sometimes those are really, 
really good conversations. And, you know, and then I also say, you know, my, my most popular podcast ever is with uh, Father Gene Murs. And he's, he's passed away since the podcast. He, but he was a, a Jesuit who I had known for like 30 years and we had lost touch for about 20 of those. Um, and we had reconnected and uh, he's just, he was just a special, special guy and he was warm and wise and loving. And it comes across in the podcast because we talk about discernment. We talk about Ignatian spirituality. We talk about Catholic schools. We talk about, I mean, just, you know, we just, and we talk about our lives and, um, and I'm always amazed because it's the, it's the most listened to. And it's just this bizarre long form conversation. It's about an hour of me and an old friend um, catching up essentially, which is hilarious. So you never know, you never know what's going to connect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I did one on stewardship um, who gets the credit and maybe it was just this kind of unusual title that caught I had like over 3,000 views of it, and it was just me on a little 10-minute monologue, and I was shocked at how many people actually listened to that. Um, You you don't know what's going to – and then I've had other where I thought, well, this this person's kind of a big name. It's going to get a lot of hits, and and it really doesn't. So you just just never know. You're right. You can't go for the big hits. You've got to go, I think, for the quality content. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, who so does you, who does get the credit, Jim? Is it is it whoever whoever takes it? Come on, give us the secret. Let's boil it down. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, um, so I tell the story in the podcast uh, about a woman named Jane who actually is my mother in law, and uh, she was the steward of a parish that she worked at for fifteen years. And she, had, I, I talk about in in the in the story that she worked for five pastors. And, you know, the pastor is always the front guy. He's the leader of the parish. He's the one who, um, who has to, to lead. He's the, he's the front runner. But you, you never see the person in the back office who's paying the bills, who's making sure the building's clean, who's organizing the parish meetings, who's making sure that the pastor has everything he needs. Uh, and so quietly through five different pastors over the course of 15 years, this parish just continues to thrive. Partially because they had good leadership, but partially because my mother-in-law acted as the business manager in the background and really held things together through good times and through some really tough times. And uh, so I I think of her as probably one of the holiest people that I know because she doesn't take any of the credit. She probably probably listens to the podcast, right? So you're getting getting, uh, the best slice of pumpkin pie now, right? That's right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I but but even your story, you know. Uh, but what's essential in that with the five pastors is you have to have pastors who are willing to share the yeah. credit and are willing because I mean, boy, I, I see this time and time again when you have changes in leadership. When they might, they might be school leaders, they might be pastors, pastoral leaders, they might be political leaders. You know, and what people do is they, they, it's like their number one job is to get rid of all traces of the past leader, Mm -hmm. you know? And so they're just for change. They're just for like, let's go with this. Let's do this differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you see it in, um, I mean, we've been joking about this. So, because we're getting a new bishop next week. Um, okay. Of course, I shouldn't say that, right? We're supposed to make this evergreen because people don't know when this is going to be. Anyway, so we right. have a new bishop in Helena next week. 
And and so I made the joke to people. I say, well, what is the what is the um, when a school leader comes in, uh, like a president or maybe it's a principal, but head of school, uh, you talk to them in six months, and, and what do they what do they talk about? What do they want to do? And and I can tell you, ninety percent of the time, they want to build something, right? They want to leave yeah. a legacy. They want to build something. And so they've determined in those six months, we need a new stadium, a new library, a new theater, a new you know. It's generally not a classroom wing, but anyway. Right. So then you go, what does the superintendent do? Superintendent comes in. Superintendent says, let's look at changing these relationships. So who does our professional development? Who does our textbooks? Who does this? Who does that? They change this. They change that. They change their tests. They change. So like, that's why all these salespeople swoop in when a new superintendent comes because they feel like they're open to changing that. And so then it's like, well, with a new bishop, what is, what's the number one thing that a bishop is concerned about? It's vocations, right? Not so they're sure. going to change, you know, he's going to make some new assignments. He's going to maybe go to a new, um, a new seminary relationship. He's going to get a new vocation. Or, oh, who knows? But it's like, that's like the lever that, that, that bishops pull. And so that's kind of that understanding is when you see a new person coming in, you have to sort of expect they're going to pull these levers that, you know, for change. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have it? You have a sense of has your new bishop been announced? I haven't even looked. Yeah, his name is Austin Vetter. Um, he's a priest uh, out of Bismarck. Um, okay, younger guy, fifty-two. Um, yeah, that is so it's a, he's going to be ordained and installed. So that's going to be kind of exciting. Um, he had yeah. four years of teaching experience at a high school. Um, he was rector. Oh, nice. He was not rector. He was spiritual director of the seminary in Rome, and yeah. um, and then was. Um, yeah, I mean, he was he was on the board of the school system in Bismarck, so he um, he he has school experience, you know. Yeah. I mean, so you can't ask for more in terms of a superintendent. You say, well, you want somebody who's who's been in the trenches. I mean, the fact that he taught high school religion for four years that gives yeah, no, it just gives him a really unique understanding. And I mean, he made he made the comment. I have not met him, but he made the comment in an article. He said, when you teach you get to see students on their good days and their bad days and they see you on your good days and your bad days. That is a wise statement because, you know, a lot of times priests and bishops want to present themselves, you know, as the, the authority and the best and the perfect at all times. And it's like, that's, you know, kids aren't, kids are going to see through that. They want to see you, you know, when you, when you lose your temper from time to time, when you make an offhanded statement and you, and you apologize and you're like, look, I'm sorry, I'm having a bad day. And they're like, Oh, he has a bad day too. You know, that's pretty cool that he, he has that inside. Oh, I apologize to my kids all the time for having a bad day. <laughs> I, I, know that. I know what you mean. Do you have any, do you have any kids at home, Tim? I do. I have uh, too many. No, I have three, um, 11, 11, 10 and seven. And, um, and one of them was having a bad day today, but we know why, you know, like, that's the thing. Like you kind of know. And, and, and the reason we know is that he's in the nutcracker and the show is in two weeks and he, and he's getting amped up, you know, cause he goes to practice and the rehearsals and they get well, you stressful, know, stressful. Yeah. And he's, sure. you know, he's seven. So it's like trying to make sense of that. And so you're like, yeah, no, he woke up and he's got rehearsal tonight and he's, uh, he's amped up and his, you know, and his brother's poking him and telling him this and telling him that. And, you know, you know how it is. 
I do. I do. We have, uh, we have three teenagers at home. The oldest is in college and, uh, she's going to community college. It's her first semester. Uh, two girls and a boy. And, uh, there's a lot of hormones in our house. Let me tell you. <laughs> Just yeah. wait. You'll oh, get yeah. there. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, you know, we all, people always say, and I guess we yeah. think about it too. It's like, there'll come a day when we'll miss this moment. You know, like yes. when they're oh, this do. age, you know, like yeah. we, you know, we knew, I knew that when they were like yeah. two and one, you know, like we're going to miss this. Well, yeah, duh. I mean, like there's, right. there's, there's certain periods where kids are just absolutely wonderful. Right. Um, and then, you know, a week later things turn, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's part <laughs> of the deal. Where were we talking about, man? We're going way off. Yeah, we are. Sorry about that. So we were talking about your new bishop. Montana, when I looked at Montana Catholic schools, is is, is Montana Catholic, is the diocese of Montana, is that what it is? Or how, are there other dioceses? There's two. Uh, Mont- yeah, there's, there's a diocese two. of Helena and the diocese of Great Falls Billings. So I serve both. Okay. Um, I, live in, okay. I live in Helena, but I, that's why I burn up the road to Great Falls quite a bit. I mean, like I'll be up there today. Yeah. I, wow. I think on average, I'm probably up there close to once a week uh, when it's yeah. all said and done. Cause there's weeks that I'm up there two or three times. Um, yeah. We're really spread out. Um, I drive about, I've, I've come to average about 35,000 miles a, a year. Um, and, um, but then I go through these periods, like I'm in a period right now where I just said, November, I need to, I need to ground myself. And so I'm just, I'm not traveling this month I'm not flying anywhere and I'm really keeping it to like one sort of road trip a week so that I can get caught up on things and, um, and talk to people like Jim friend. (laughs) It was ironic when I reached out to you that we were on each other's uh, list for interviews. So I'm, I'm flattered by that. Um, so Tim, you uh, you were a vice principal, a principal. You kind of moved yourself up from the classroom. Now you're a superintendent. Like what what inspired you to be a, a leader in, in Catholic schools? I mean, there's so much need out there, and I'm sure that you know you're like you're, you're the two dioceses that you're served are probably like a lot of different dioceses. You've got your really healthy schools, and that you've got your schools that may be a little bit on the uh, mm-hmm. on the operating table that need a whole lot of help. Like uh, like what inspired you to to be a leader in in Catholic education? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes, I mean, I tend to tend to think of it in a simple way. Like when I was a teacher, um, I thought I could, um, I could do better than um, the principal and the assistant principal. And I thought, well, geez, um, we need, we need some better, better leadership around here. And I'd like to do that for my peers. You know, it turns out like they didn't, they didn't want me to be an administrator there, but I left and went to a different school. And in that, that move was like, well, I really enjoyed working with students. I mean, I was a coach and teacher and I thought, well, being an assistant principal and working discipline, that would be, that would be kind of fun because, you know, you're working with students all day. Um, so you do that for a little while. And then again, you're like, you know what? I, I, I should be in charge here, you know? Um, because I think I would do a better job. And I mean, I know that's like incredibly arrogant to say, but you know, 
it's I just, think we all, I think anybody who steps up in a leadership position has some kind of thought like that. Like, you know what? I, I could probably do, do this in a better way or a more creative way or, you know, yeah. my own style. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's yeah. what, you know, and then you, you, you become a principal because you say, I want to work with the teachers. I want to make their lives better. I want to coach them. I want to work with them. I want to make sure that we have the best teachers. And then, and then you become, you're a principal for a little while. I was principal for about, uh, at the time, I think it was about six years. This is really kind of a funny story. The, the superintendent comes to me because they developed this new system where one person from the central office, um, this, I was in Seattle at the time. So they had, you know, like four assistants and one fold. And so they, they kind of divided it up and like they would, they would come out and do kind of an evaluation with you and your pastor. And so he, he didn't really know me very well, the, the superintendent. And he says to me, so I, I guess here's my question for you. What, what do you, uh, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be? And I, I think what he meant was like, is this the school that you want to end up? Or do you see yourself in a different type of school? Because I had previously been in a high school. This is a very small struggling elementary school. So he was, I think he was assuming that I would say, you know, that he was going to give me some career advice about, oh, well, here's a school, here's a school, maybe go there and you'd be happier and so forth. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a superintendent. And he was like floored. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a superintendent. And he's like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, because I want to work with principals. I want to make the, I want to make their lives a little bit better and coach them up and uh, give them some leadership. And um, yeah, that's what I want to do. He was like, I don't, he, he was flabbergasted. He was just like, I, I, I can't, I can't. Wow. And he goes, uh, okay, well, let's see. Uh, and so he starts running down like superintendents in the state, in the area, like that might be retiring or openings. And he's like, I mean, I guess I'll just keep you in mind, you know, if one of those things open up. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, like, and I was like, I've just answered your question. Like, and so like at that point, like then, so I, that was two years before I came here. So like in those two years, I was like, okay, what kind of jobs are opening up? What are they looking for? Who's getting those jobs? What is their background? And so I would start to learn that. And so then this opened up and I was like, this is a cool gig because it's a one person show. Okay. So like I literally... Not only do I not have an assistant superintendent, I don't even have an administrative assistant. So I'm doing things out of my car. I mean, I do have an office, but uh, people call my cell phone, people text me, um, everybody does. And so, um, you know, but it, but the thing that was cool was I would learn personnel, policy, Catholic identity, curriculum, leadership, accreditation, you know, I, I would just get to learn it all. Whereas I think if I went and became an assistant superintendent, you would generally have one or two functions at, a, you know, one of those larger dioceses. And then you wouldn't, then you wouldn't know about the other thing. So like, that was what was cool about this gig. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say if a young guy said to you, uh, yeah, Dr. Ewell, I think I want to be a superintendent. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that's great because I, I I mean I enjoy it I love it it's a great job so I would say that but I'm also really careful um, to because I think what what you what you hear a lot is people say oh that's nice you know and then they um, 
because they're afraid to say, because there are people who become leaders who shouldn't be leaders. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. That mm-hmm. You know, it's not a good time for them. It's not a good match for them, or, or it's just not a good thing. You know, that just because you're a good principal doesn't mean you'll be a good superintendent. Okay. Just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you're a good principal. So, I mean, I always say to people, look, are you like, if you're really serious and you want me to, to mentor you and help you, I will, but understand that I'm going to ask you some tough questions and I'm going to give you like my honest feedback. And I've told people, I mean, I told a guy that applied for a principal job and um, I looked at his resume and we didn't interview him and he called me and he was like, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you hire me? And I was like, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, you've had five jobs in the last seven years and you've been, your last two positions have ended abruptly. And so to me, I think what you need to do is take a step back and you need to go back in the classroom. You need to be a, be a leader at your school and work your way up again, because right now you could take the next job. And then if that one flames out, you're done. Like no one's ever going to hire you. So, you know, and he was so angry with me. He was so angry. Like he told people, like it it came around, like, I, like, Hey, I hear you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, I was just, he asked me for my opinion and I gave it to him. And, um, and so I'll do the same thing. Uh, but, but I tell you what, if there's people, I mean, what, what generally happens more frequently is I say to people, listen, you need to think about leadership. And they're like, no, no, no way. And I'm like, no, no, you need to think about leadership. Like this is, you, you've got what it takes to do this. And they're like, nope, don't want to deal with the hassles, the headaches, the conflicts, the parents, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, it's a, you know, you get through it. You, you'll learn the skills. Like, that's not the worst thing. Like, you can, you can make it. So more, more frequently, I'm trying to recruit people that I see. I'm trying to tap people on the shoulder who I see have, have potential. Um, but more frequently than people coming to me and saying, I want to be a leader. How can I? Sure, so. sure. Well, there's so many headaches, like you say, and they recognize that. And I'm sure, I mean, just from what I've seen in, in my work in Catholic education, the profile of a Catholic school leader has changed from what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Like you've got to you know something about marketing. You've got to know something about fundraising. I mean, you're, you're basically running a small business, personnel issues, budget issues, where maybe that, maybe all those other factors weren't as big a big an issue 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah, different, different schools have sort of different needs, different priorities. But I think, you know, I think a really important question uh, that a school needs to ask, you know, when, when it looks like they're going to have a change is, is how much change do we want, you know, and, or how much change do we need, you know, because we had a situation, we had a school this year that had an opening as a principal and, and I was just really frank with the, with the pastor. And I was like, look, you need to decide, um, do you want to bring someone in from the outside? And that's always a gamble, you know, in a, in a rural community, like if someone's going to, going to make it essentially, like if they're going to like it, if they're going to, if it's going to be a fit, um, or do you just want to take a teacher and find out if one of your teachers wants to step up, is willing to be trained, is willing to uh, learn, is willing to take guidance and mentorship. 
And, uh, and he's like, I didn't realize we can. I'm like, yeah, we can get a temporary certification and somebody who's enrolling in a program and, you know, um, and even if you pay, I mean, I always joke, like, even if you pay $30,000, I mean, I know that the college programs are more now, but even let's just take it $30,000. If you split the cost of a master's degree, that's less than it costs to make a bad hire. Cause if you make a, you make a bad hire and you got to spend money again on recruiting, on unemployment, on maybe a maybe a, a, a termination agreement. I mean, there's there's just money that goes and then retraining and all that. So that's kind of that decision. Now there are some, there are plenty of schools that, you know, they believe they're they got it completely under control and everything's fine. So we just need to get somebody in here, you know, somebody who can step up, the vice principal, the principal, whatever. And maybe that's not the case because maybe the school's been slipping and maybe it needs a shakeup. Um, and so that's the, um, that's the really, the, that's the first important decision about what, what, what you need. Um, the right fit for the, for the institution. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And you, plus then you're inv- investing in your people and, and they can see that, that there's opportunities to grow within the organization. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we, we we tend to make these jobs, you know, even when you were describing it, you know, we make it seem like it's um, it's impossible, you know, that Superman needs to come in here or Superwoman needs to come in and because you got to have all these skills. I mean, how many times am I going to see, you know, like or, or be involved in conversations when we have to hire a president or head of school? And the first thing they say is we need a proven fundraiser, you know. And I'm like, what, what do you mean by proven? You know, and people are like, have they led a capital campaign? Have they do this? You know, and they go and they start listing all the stuff. And I'm like, yeah, those people are really hard to find. And I'm not sure you're, I'm not sure you're going to find it in your school. And frankly, like if they led a school through a capital campaign, if they've raised money, um, why, why would they take on a new job? You know, why would they? why would they come to a new, a new place? Like, or don't you want to think in terms of, is there someone who can or who has relationships in the community or can build relationships in the community and can learn the skills of fundraising? But, but, you know, in elementary school, it's, it's, you know, you don't need to know everything on day one. You just need, you just need to have a really good sense of priorities and a good sense of where to find things. And, and you need to have a learning mindset. And so if you can hire someone with a learning mindset that, and given the right support, that can work, you know, but anyway, I mean, the mistake we make in Catholic schools, like time and time again, is we hire people from the public schools because because they can talk curriculum, they can talk data-informed instruction, they can talk curriculum standards, and they can talk about school management day-to-day, right? So they say all those things and everybody goes, oh, great, that's that's great. Now we're going to have finally have a principal principal, you know? And then they come in and they're like, huh, turns out they don't really care very much about what the advisory council says, you know, it turns out they're not really paying much attention to what the pastor and the, the parish is doing. It turns out they really don't know how to recruit people because, you know, it turns out they don't really know, like, how to maintain the building, you know, and, and how to pay attention to that. You know, like, there's there are things, and, you know, it turns out they're not really building community with our parents, you know. And I'm not saying every public school parent, but these are struggles, or public school 
administrator who comes into the Catholic schools, but, but these are common struggles. And, and, and so we don't, we tend to, you know, a lot of the parents come in and they really value the educational aspect and that's who they want to hire, but um, they don't understand, you know, the other piece of it. But anyway. That makes sense. So uh, you kind of have the bird's eye view of, uh, you know, you've, you've, uh, because of your podcast, you kind of have poked into a lot of different dioceses around the country. Do you, um, is, Mon- is Montana Catholic schools, is it all that dissimilar from what you're seeing around the country? Or what are some of the, uh, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your diocese? I think every diocese has challenges about governance and um, challenges about who's in charge and who's making these decisions, um, whether it's a centralized system or whether it's a system of schools. Everybody sort of has that tension uh, and that, that what is their relationship with the, with the superintendent and the bishop? Is that Are they a private school? Are they a parish school? But is the parish school run by the pastor and the pastor can ignore the bishop? Um, you know, or is it an inner parish? So I, I think these are really common. Um, and so, you know, I make the joke, we have 23 schools and I think I have eight different forms of governance and relationships. <laughs> and so, um, you know, like no two thing, even school boards aren't alike. I mean, because they change it and some, some can hire their head of school and others can consult on it. Well, that's a big deal. That's a big, that's a, it's a very big deal. So, um, yeah, so those are, those are common. And of course, you know, it's, it's finding the, it's finding the right tuition, you know, um, everybody's kind of struggling a little bit with, with setting tuition at the right level, the right level, like can parents afford it or is it, is it attractive? Is it, um, valued, you know, um, it's a, but that's, that's pretty common. You know, people talk about, you know, because there's parents who believe that the parish or the diocese should be, you know, sponsoring, supporting the schools in in a direct way. And then there's dioceses and parishes that believe that parents should pay their share. And I don't know how many times I'm going to hear pastors complain about snowmobiles or fishing trips or Disneyland trips. You know, how can these parents do this and then say they can't afford their tuition? And and I'm just like, whoa, that's a that's a third rail. Um, you know, how do you how do you explain to them that they might value a trip to Disneyland over their education? <laughs> it's like good luck with that conversation. Yeah, like, I don't know what side of that conversation I want to be on. You know, um, so I just choose not to. Uh, yeah, but anyway. to engage there, yeah, you, you know, you you mentioned the lead the leadership thing, and you know, I've um, I work with different schools, some on with advisory boards, and some with uh, boards of limited jurisdiction. Um, sounds like you have several different kinds of models within your diocese functioning. Are, are you finding that there is one particular model that works better than another? No, no. I mean, I I, I don't think you know the answer is not structure. I mean, you know, it is important to to get the right structure, but the the answer is the people, you know, because we I, I've seen advisory councils that are more involved, more engaged, more helpful, more supportive to the schools than I've seen boards of governance. 
because you have a group of people on the governing board who believe they're important because they're important. You know, they're important because they're on the board and they're on the board because they're important. It's just sort of the circular entitlement sense and they don't roll up their sleeves and get to work. And then there's people on the, there's advisory councils where they're meeting every week with the finance officer and the principal to go over the budget and develop the budget for next year. And you're like, well, they don't really have a say. They don't really have an oversight, but the principal's granting them that because they have a strong relationship and these people know what they're doing and they're helpful. So, so the, the key is, you know, you, you have to work for, for the right structure, but you also, you have to work for the right people. You know, you have to try to get those people and, and keep them, you know, keep them engaged and keep them involved, keep them from burning out and getting ticked off and quitting. Um, and, and, you know, and I can't do that, you know, at my level of my position, I mean, I can do it somewhat, but I mean, really that's a local thing and that's, you know, that's the local leadership to support and engage those people and, um, and, and thank them, you know, and get them involved the right way and not overburden them. Um, be transparent about decisions and about finances, share those things. Um, those are things, you know, I can talk about, but, um, but, you know, it's a, it does just sort of happen in some places organically and other places in anyway. Well, you know, some, some school leaders are just really good at, at engaging the community and, uh, and keeping them engaged and others. It's, it's, it, it, whether you're talking about a school leader or a school board, it's all about getting the right people around the table to get the job done. You're yeah. absolutely right. You know? And I mean, even, you know, I'm hearing myself and I'm, and I'm hearing myself go, well, people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, well, can't you, you know, can't you be more intentional about creating this environment and supporting this environment and, and raising up best practices? And, and I'd say, yeah, probably, you know, I mean, like that's probably something that I could work on, you know, um, and that I could get, um, I could do a little bit more, do a little bit better, but you know, the, the, the reality for me is that, um, you know, I, I can only help people, who want to be helped, you know, because if they're not listening, you can have the best presentation in the world, whether it's a presentation or a conversation or whatever, if they're not listening, they're not, you know, they're not going to get it. And so, you, you know, you can't, you can't beat yourself up and take the blame for things when you have boards or leaders or pastors who just plug their ears and are like, are you done? Cause we're ready to move on to what we want to talk about. And you're like, no, I think this is important. And they're like, are you done? You know? And it's like, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's just a, you know, so that's, a, that's a thing that you have to, you know, and that's what I do. I mean, this kind of circles us back to the beginning. I mean, yeah. The newsletter and the podcast, you know, the hope was, that I would raise up and celebrate and articulate best practices in Catholic schools and that that would inspire and bring resources to school leaders and pastors and school board members um, because they're all on the mailing list. They all get this. And, um, you know, that, that was the hope, but you know, like I cannot control whether they read it or not. You know, if I can't even control if they open it or not. I mean, it comes to their email, but 
if they choose not to, and and you know, I can't control whether they listen to the podcast or not. I mean, that's that's it's on demand, and if there's no demand, there's there's no um, there's no listening. So I can't, you know, I can't be upset that you know the the message isn't getting out there. I just have to keep trying, you know, and I have to keep keep finding ways to say, hey, you know, uh, last week we did one on finance, best practices, you know, like, have you thought about how you're matching up with this, you know, and people be like, and you, you know, generally that conversation goes, wait, what did you say? Like, you had a podcast on finance? Yeah, I had a podcast on finance. Here's the link, you know, I'll send it to you. And they're like, oh, you know, and then you just never know. Like, you never know if they're going to, do you anyway. get do you, do you do you get um, do you get feedback from different folks around the country on your podcast? Do you hear from different people? Did, oh man, I, that, I really appreciated what you said about this, or I really enjoyed that guest. You, you, you do get that kind of feedback. That's great. Yeah, it comes and goes. Um, last week's podcast on finance, I probably had the most um, feedback. Probably had five or six people email me and say thank you. I heard this, and then maybe ask a follow up question and. And that tells me, you know, if you have five or six people who took the time to respond, you know, there's countless others who maybe thought about, it. I mean, how many times have I been like, oh, I should reach out to this person. And then, and then you don't, um, and you never quite get past that tipping point. So, yeah, I mean, but, but, but then there's plenty of weeks where I don't know if people, you know, like, I mean, you just don't know if people, if if people are listening or if they're reacting or if it's affecting or impacting. Um, but you just keep going and you just keep assuming that this seems interesting. So it must yeah. be interesting to other people. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're fun to put together too. And you get to, you know, what I found, you get to meet a lot of interesting people around the country who are doing good stuff. And, um, and if nothing else, if you can help them promote their, their good work, then if it inspires one or two other people, I think that's, that's a win. You know. Somebody asked me, I mean, I've, I, people have asked me this in different forms, but somebody asked me this really directly a couple of weeks ago and they were like, so how do you get your guests? And I was like, um, well, some are recommended, but mostly it's just like I come upon something, an article, a presentation, and I'm like, huh, I want to learn more about this person. And so I, I just reach out or maybe I read their book or whatever. And then she was like, but how do you know if if those people are going to be interesting for your guests? And I was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and she was like, what? And I was like, I, I, I can't think that way. I think in terms of like, is it interesting and engaging for me? And I invite people to come along to where my intellectual curiosity is taking me. And if they don't want to go there, they don't need to listen, you know, and download it. But that's my standard. Like, follow my curiosity, follow what I think is interesting. And and that's how, I mean, that's how I edit mine. You know, like, if I think it's a good conversation, I leave it. You know, if if I feel like it's going on too long, I'll cut some of it. And, and sometimes I'll cut, like, I have not run podcasts. I've had conversations with people and I've been like, yeah, that's good but it's not good enough. You know, like I was bored. Like I was checking my phone while you were talking. Like that's right. a bad sign, right? Yeah, sure. 
<laughs> I would say that's a bad sign. <laughs> that's sort of like the the how good is a TV show or game um, model. Like when you start, you know, checking your phone while the show is on. Yeah, it's probably yeah. not engaging enough, and it's probably time to turn it off. But anyway, yeah. Um, I have two teenagers. That's that's all they do. It doesn't matter what shows on. They're they're looking at their phones. <laughs> then they'll look up every so often and say, "Hey, Dad, what what happened?" You know, let's change the channel. <laughs> do you ever they're text them when you're in the same room? I have done that before. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I made all my kids wait till they got to high school to get phones. I originally told them they they get their their first cell phone when I got my first cell phone. I was 28 years old, but that was a different generation. They didn't go. They didn't yeah. like that much. Yeah. No, no. I I'll do that to my wife sometimes. Like we'll be in the room and she'll be on her phone, and then I'll just grab my phone. I'll be like, "How are you?" Yeah. Text, and she'll look up and she's like. Am I on my phone too much? I'm like, maybe. It's a modern, maybe, it's a modern maybe. family. It's a modern family. Well, yeah. Tim, where, where do you hope? Where do you hope your? Uh, do you have any future vision for your podcast? Where you hope it, it's going to end up? Or uh, like you say, you're just kind of taking it uh, a season at yeah. a time. Yeah. No, I, I don't. No, I mean, what, what I've what I've sort of where I've sort of landed with it is that um, I kind of have a fall season and then a spring season. So. Um, I'm about wrapped up with the fall season because I think I have one that's going to drop next Wednesday. I might do one more, but I've recorded like three. You know, I've got a bunch to record it, so just putting them together. And then, you know, I've already started thinking and started scheduling guests for the spring. Um, I did, I mean, the only real innovative if you want to call it innovative ideas um i've got three school leaders um scheduled for that that have catholic schools on the border and just be like talk to them about how things have changed in the last couple years and how um you know how life is different and so i've talked to one of them i mean it's pretty cool it's pretty interesting to hear her her um her story and I'm looking forward to a couple more of those. So that'll be like an episode. It'll be like Catholic schools on the border and hear what people, um, you know, just because most of us, I mean, most people in the country have never been to the border and, and we certainly wouldn't have visited a Catholic school on the border. So um, they'll get that opportunity, but that's all I know, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the things I've learned is that, you know, if you, Give yourself time to be creative and then, you know, the creativity will happen. I mean, if I say after Thanksgiving, I'm going to get real serious about planning out for the spring, then I'll do that, you know, after Thanksgiving. So um, right now I'm scheduling a few guests here and there. And then when Thanksgiving, I get back in the office that week, I'll be like, okay, where's episode 166 going to look like or 167 or whatever. And then um, schedule it out for the spring. And then, um, and make it happen. So, so let, me ask you, let me ask you one last question. If there's somebody listening who is thinking about starting a podcast, what would, what would be your advice to them, having run one successfully now for a few years? Doesn't matter what the topic is. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say find your niche um, and figure out if there is a niche and there is a demand. Um, but... I mean, that's, that's of course what everybody would say. Um, I, I would just say, 
you know, if it's something that, that you feel like is going to be professionally or personally rewarding, then do it, do it for yourself. Don't do it for the clicks or the downloads or the retweets or whatever, do it for yourself. And, um, cause if you're really doing something you enjoy, then you, you assume that people are going to come, come along for the ride. Yeah. So. That's what I would say. Uh, you you got to be passionate about it. Um, and, and even on, even if you don't get any hits or you don't get any downloads, you still got to, it's, it's got to energize you in some way, right? Because you're doing it because it's some kind of a part of a personal mission. You know, I guess the work we do might be more connected to a mission than somebody who's doing, I don't know, a, a something on media or a movie or whatever. But uh, for me, yeah, it's, I guess the thing too, that I would push back a little bit just because of interpretation. When you say passionate, you know, I think that, um, I think that when people hear passionate, they mean like, it's gotta be something that you're a hundred percent invested and enjoy all the time. No, you have to be organized and systematic about it. And there's times, you know, there's times that, um, you know, you, you, you schedule a podcast and, and it's, oh man, I gotta be in the office early cause I have to do a podcast you know, and it's a little bit of a drag, right? And so you may not feel the same level of enthusiasm or excitement. But that doesn't mean it isn't passion. It just means you, you know, and so that's where I think I always tend to, when people say passionate, then it's like, oh, you're a person who, you know, only does things when they, when they're enjoyable or, you know, when they're enthusiastic. And, and so sometimes you have to be you know, and you have to be systematic about it. I mean, that was my thing was like, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do one a week and people are going to learn that this podcast is released on this day. And I'm going to tell them, you know, I'm going to tell them for the next 20 weeks, you can download an episode. And I started off with 20 minute drive time episodes. And now I'm like blowing up with like hour, hour and a half conversations that, um, because I just, cause it's, I've evolved, you know, and that's, and I think my guests, my audience has come with me. It's no longer a, a wham, bam, quick podcast. It's more like in depth and it's more conversational. And we just like this one. I mean, we're up to 48 minutes here, Jim. Are you going to cut this down to like. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined, Tim, to be determined. I'll let maybe, maybe it'll be three parts, you know. Yeah, um, it's a three-part episode. With you'll be Dr. calling Tim me tomorrow Moore. and saying, uh, turns out we need to fill in the middle years. Can we <laughs> schedule another yeah. one? I'm going to do a four-part series on Tim Mule, all right? Are you ready? <laughs> Beginning of January. (laughs) All right, Jim. All right, Tim. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Best of luck and congratulations on your on your podcast, your blog, and all the great work you're doing in Montana. I really appreciate everything you're doing. I appreciate the fact that we were finally able to connect and uh, spend some time together today. It was fun. It's been fun. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. God bless. I want to thank Tim for being on our show this week. If you'd like to subscribe to Tim's podcast, you can find him on iTunes. I'll also put links to his podcast and his blog in our show notes and on our website, advancingourchurch.com. Thanks again, Tim. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and the Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 
Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week, a great Thanksgiving. Take care and God bless.